0: Hello everybody uh, and Kia Ora. So today uh, we will talk about Ostrots research undertaken to identify um, opportunities to improve the pavement rehabilitation and strengthening treatment design uh, procedures included in the guide to pavement technology. Uh, We have more than 400 people registered for today's session. So welcome to you all, and it's great to have you with us. My name is Ekaterina. Uh, I'm a communications officer at Austroats and I will be moderating today's session uh, together with the project manager, James Allen, uh, from Transport for New South Wales. So, first of all, I would like to acknowledge the Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the custodians of the land from which we are broadcasting today. I pay my respect to all this past, present and emerging. I also acknowledge the Treaty of Waitani and Mary as the regional people of New Zealand. A little bit about Ostroutes. We are the collective of Australasian transport and traffic agencies, and our focus is to support our member organizations to deliver an improved road transport network. Uh, The project that we are focusing on today was delivered under the Transport Infrastructure Program, which is managed by Rose Gapi. A bit of housekeeping. Uh, So our presenters will speak for 40 minutes, and then we will have a Q&A session uh, for 15 minutes. The report and the slides uh, for today's presentation can be downloaded from your handout section, uh, which you can find on the right-hand side of your screen. Uh, There's also a question section there, so please use it to send us your questions um, at any time during the webinar. If your question relates to any particular slide, please include the number of that slide in your message to help us answer your question as best as we can. You can also use that same questions box to let us know if you have any technical problems. But just a quick tip, if you lose sound or your picture phrases, uh, the issue is most likely with your connection. So uh, leaving the session, closing your browser, and rejoining again using your registration link usually helps. This session is being recorded, and we will let you know when the recording is available on our website. If you listen to podcasts, you can find Austroats in your podcast app. So, our presenters for today are Dr. Didier Baudin and Dr. Jeff Jameson from the Australian Road Research Board. Uh, both presenters have a wealth of experience in the areas of pavement uh, material characterization, pavement design, and performance. So, welcome, Didier and Jeff. Uh, and, and it's over to you, Didier. I start
1: with introducing you to the project team. The project team were included uh, Jen Silent, Project Manager for Ostroads. I was the project leader, Didier Burden, and uh, Jeff Jamieson was the quality manager from the outside. The project direction and outcome were reviewed by the Pavement Structural Technical Group, Ostrose Pavement Task Force, and the Ostrose Board. The, Ost- the Ostrose Pavement Structures Working Group uh, is composed of representatives from uh, road agencies across Australia and New Zealand. It is also composed of uh, industry representatives from AFPA,
2: OSTAB, Civil Contractors New Zealand and ARB. So this project
1: initiated following the latest revision of the Austro's Guide to Pavement Technology Part 5, which is focused on pavement evaluation and treatment design. This latest edition was published in 2018 and incorporated the latest development in terms of uh, rehabilitation treatment design. This revision also brings more emphasis on the Mechanistic Empirical Procedure, MEP, And uh, following this latest development, Ostroads commissioned the project to develop a strategy for future improvement of the procedures in the guide. This project was uh, undertaken by ARB, and it included a gap analysis, a literature review. And uh, this literature review led to identifying the best method uh, which can be proposed for improvement and um, also propose a strategy and a roadmap for future ostrich research in that field. The outcome of this project was summarised in the report, which uh, is is displayed on the right-hand side of the screen, which you might have already downloaded from the ostrich website. um, As I mentioned, the project initiated with a survey of practitioners So The survey was designed to collect feedback from pavement designers across road agencies and pavement design consultants. It was implemented through an online survey and the feedback and conclusions were summarized in the report. You will find that in section two as highlighted in the tag on the right hand side of the screen and that will uh, be the case for all slides if you want to reference to this relevant section in the report. The con- conclusions were around identifying needs of evaluating uh, the feasibility of using existing back calculation software for evaluating existing infrastructure, developing methods to consider the remaining life of existing bond layers in the design of rehabilitation and strengthening treatments and also some needs of accounting for reflective cracking for the design of asphalt overlays treatment so following the collection of this uh, feedback other areas were also identified as uh, future um, potential needs which were around the environmental effects such as temperature, moisture on the performance and the durability of pavement materials. Some questions were raised around the pros and cons of using cross anisotropy and particularly in design and uh, related to back calculation software and also uh, some future uh, direction to incorporate the uh, reliability procedure for form Victim Stabilized Statement. Now, we'll uh, start taking you through uh, the more technical details about the project work. And um, the project de- developed an evaluation procedure for back-calculation software. This relates to Section 3 of the report. So back-calculation is the process which is used to determine the pavement layer moduli for existing pavements from deflection data. So by knowing the uh, FWD deflection ball and the pavement thicknesses, software programs allows to back-calculate this layer moduli. It uses a response to load model, uh, which is based uh, in uh, many cases, an elastic multilayer models like CERCLI or others. It uses some uh, material models, which can be cro- elastic cross-anisotropy on a non uh, behavior for subgrade or granular materials, and also an algorithm, which is the mathematical iterative optimization process, which Adjust layer, payment layer moduli to match the predicted deflection board with the measured deflection board. One issue which is faced by designer is that the output of back calculation may depend on the algorithm used and the software used, and therefore it has some consequences in terms of designing using this back calculated moduli. In order to, um, to have a better clarity on the performance of uh, back-calculation software available, the project developed a practical method to assess the performance. It was based on running a series of back-calculation using hypothetical deflection ball from pavement configuration of known layer moduli the performance is measured using both how well the predicted deflection ball matches the provided input balls and also in comparing how well the software estimates the layer moduli which are known in the first place through the assigned moduli in the uh, hypothetical model To illustrate what it means, here on the left hand side you can see the XY plot uh, which is uh, the output of a a back calculation where X is um, the distance from the center of the load and Y is a deflection and where hypothetical and predicted deflection ball are presented. So the back calculation software are designed to match predicted ball with uh, measured. And on the right hand side, we define the relative modular difference uh, parameter to evaluate how close the predicted uh, moduli for the different layers are compared to um, the assigned moduli in the first place in generating the detection. So, method proposed for assessing existing uh, back-calculation software consists in repeating this process for a range of pavement configurations which are proposed in the report. During the project, the back-calculation algorithm developed for Osrode in 2019 was used to generate benchmark results. And that allows to compare any software available against these results for the set of pavement defined in the case of um, pavement configuration which might be more relevant to certain run agencies this uh, approach can be uh, scaled to uh, a low more pavement configuration if needed so this uh, concludes the first part of the presentation and i will now hand it over to jeff for
3: the next part thank you didier So another aspect of this project was providing a strategy to develop methods to predict remaining structural life of pavements. And in part five, the scope of the procedure is, in terms of strengthening treatment design, is in terms of designing treatments to inhibit fatigue cracking of the treatment layers and permanent deformation of the treated pavement and we have procedures for assigning the moduli of the existing uh, asphalt or cemented material underneath uh, a treatment layer but no consideration is given to uh, the fatigue of the uh, existing asphalt or cemented material so and that is because we have yet to develop procedures to uh, Uh, assess the remaining life of these existing bound pavement layers. So the project really identified a need uh, for the situation where an existing bound layer was in a sound condition, and there was an option should be provided to provide strengthening for that existing bound material. Uh, That might be a more cost-effective option Uh, than considering it being in a cracked state, as we currently do. So what we needed to provide was a method of uh, assessing the fatigue damage due to the past traffic. And another way of expressing this is a procedure to estimate the remaining structural life of the bound layer. If we had such a procedure, uh, we could provide more cost-effective designs by providing and examining the strengthening required for two options, basically to design the treatment to inhibit fatigue cracking in the treatment layer, as we currently do, but also in the case where the existing bound layers are in a sound condition to design the treatment to inhibit cracking in the uh, existing bound layer as well as the uh, the treatment layer. So that was the need identified in the project. In terms of uh, structural design of treatments, we also designed the treatments to inhibit uh, permanent deformation in the treated pavement. And it was considered that there was uh, a lesser need to develop a remaining life Uh, procedure for rutting because even a simple treatment such as a a mill and asphalt inlay or an overlay would uh, restore the remaining life to 100%. So what we are concentrating on is the remaining life in terms of fatigue of bound layers, that is asphalt, cement and materials, lean mixed concrete, etc. The report identified uh, four possible methods uh, that could uh, be investigated Uh, the first method is uh, to use the design procedures for new pavements to determine the allowable loading of the existing pavement when it was first constructed so this is the existing pavement we do a pavement design using the current design processes and determine the allowable uh, traffic loading Then we subtract the past traffic since it was open to traffic and that gives us the remaining life. So this is the simplest of the four procedures. Method two is an enhancement of that where we're determining the existing in situ moduli of a project and from those determining the strains in the existing bound layers and then using our performance relationships for the design of new pavements to uh, calculate the allowable loading. The third method uh, revolves around the use of a modulus reduction in the existing bound material due to the past traffic. And those of you who are familiar with fatigue uh, testing in the laboratory would be familiar with this concept, where we uh, understand uh, that f- modulus reduces as microcracking in bound layers progresses under the action of loading. So method three uh, assesses damage due, uh, by means of looking at modulus reduction. The fourth method is the most rigorous of the four methods, and in this case, we're actually measuring the laboratory fatigue life of beams or cores uh, extracted from the uh, existing pavement. Now, methods one and two were not recommended in the report. And I'll go through the reasons here. The first reason was basically that both of these methods use the fatigue relationships for the design of new pavements. And shown on the slide here is the asphalt fatigue relationship. And included in that relationship uh, is a reliability factor, which allows a project to be designed to a particular selected design reliability level. And that is is needed because our design system is a probabilistic design system, system rather than a deterministic design system. We, when we use the design method, we predict a distribution of uh, allowable loadings of a range of projects. So this slide just explains that a bit further. The OSTRO's performance relationships are probabilistic rather than deterministic, and so provide a distribution of possible lives of a constructed project. So for an individual project, there are a wide range of possible lives. So because of this uncertainty of the life of a particular individual project, uh, these methods are not well suited uh, for assessing remaining life. They don't take account of the performance of individual projects. Now method two, Has an advantage over method one in that it utilizes information about the existing uh, moduli of the uh, existing pavement so that's an advantage over method one which doesn't use any information at all about the properties of an individual project and often uh, these moduli that we uh, estimate for the existing materials are back calculated from measured deflections now these measured, deflection, these measured moduli or estimated moduli can vary during the pavement life, as shown on this graph here, which shows some data from the UK about how the modulus of asphalt increases during over a period of 30 or 40 years. And when we do this, uh, when we're evaluating an existing project, we could be anywhere in that life uh, that we're estimating the modulus of existing layers. Our design system doesn't allow for such variations in modulus with time. Our design system has been calibrated on the initial modulus of these materials rather than looking at the modulus at any one point in time. So that's a complication for us in using these performance relationships that we've got potential for variations in bound material moduli with time and we don't have procedures in our new pavement design procedures don't mirror that uh, that variation the other aspect that we don't have is in our new pavement design procedure there are the moduli are based on laboratory measured values often beams or the cbr test 10 times the cbr for the subgrade and they can differ from that calculator moduli so there's also a need to translate the back calculator moduli to appropriate design model for use with the performance relationships in part two. Method three uh, is based on uh, a modulus reduction due to the past traffic loading. So in this this, uh, method uh, assumes that the modulus reduction of a bound layer is a measure of the fatigue damage. to the past traffic. The process would include coring or back calculation of modulus in the the trafficked area in the wheel paths and comparing that to the untrafficked area of the pavement. And the ratio of those uh, two moduli would be the modulus reduction due to the past traffic. Now we have some information about the variation in uh, modulus with uh, under-trafficking from the results of accelerated pavement testing. And shown on the graph here uh, is the uh, some data that we obtained on testing asphalt pavements, uh, where on the horizontal axis we've plotted the uh, fatigue damage and one on this scale is where Fatigue cracking is first observed on the surface, and on the hor- on the vertical axis is the ratio of the trafficked modulus in the trafficked area versus the initial modulus of of the material. So at the beginning of loading, and what we've found, for example, is when you get down to a modulus of about 30 or 40 percent of the initial value, we're seeing surface cracking. So we have some information there about the relationship between modulus reduction and um, and uh, remaining life but in, uh, in actual when we're doing routine uh, rehabilitation design of course we don't have the initial moduli that we have uh, that we had in the accelerator loading trial and we also need to allow for the fact that the moduli can increase in time or change in time due to curing. Uh, in the road bed. So rather than use the initial modulus we'll be using the untrafficked modulus value. And you can see from this what I've shown you on this uh, graph here is some results that we obtained from uh, a field trial of foam bitumen stabilised pavements where we um, undertook deflection testing in the wheel path in the trafficked areas and back calculated the moduli during the over a course of two to three years and we did the same thing in the shoulder area where we back calculated the modulus now this particular pavement uh, fatigue cracked after about two years was seen on the surface so after about one year of trafficking uh, we'd assume that we've we've consumed about 50 percent of the life and you can see if we we simply looked at the trafficked area in the wheel path and not looked at the uh, ratio of the traffic to untrafficked, we would have had a different, very different view about whether fatigue damage had occurred to that pavement. Uh, for example, the trafficked area, uh, if anything, increased over the first year due to the effect of curing, uh, and if we just solely looked at the information in the trafficked area, we wouldn't have concluded that there'd be any fatigue damage happened to that pavement. So what we're proposing to do is to take a ratio of trafficked uh, and untrafficked moduli as uh, the parameter to assess fatigue damage. The fourth method is the most rigorous method we have. But uh, unfortunately it requires more testing because we've not only got to obtain cores or beams extracted from the pavement in the untrafficked and trafficked areas, but we also need to undertake laboratory fatigue testing of those beams or slabs. So it's the most rigorous method because it's a direct measure of fatigue life reduction, but it may not be practical uh, for routine design. So what we're proposing to the, the, the be done in the report is that we evaluate these two methods, methods three and four, and assess their suitability for use in, in routine design. Well, that completes uh, my um, presentation. Uh, I w- just a reminder to send in your questions, please, uh, and give us the slide number. And I'll now hand back to, uh, to Didier to complete the presentation. Thank you, Jeff.
1: <clears throat> As I mentioned in the, at the start of uh, this webinar, another area of improvement uh, identified was to investigate methods to predict the reflective cracking of asphalt overlays. Currently, there's no consideration for. In Inib- to inhibit reflective cracking uh, in a mechanistic way in the design of asphalt overlays, and it's not uncommon that fatigue uh, cracking may limit the life in situ of a thin asphalt overlays. So there is a need of identifying uh, practic- prediction methods for reflective cracking, which would be suitable for routine design. Another aspect of this method is to be uh, performance-based in terms of uh, taking into account the cracking resistance of of, uh, asphalt mixes through mix design, and incorporation of modified binders such as PMB, chrome rubber or hybrid binders. As part of the the survey of practitioners, um, the need of uh, evaluating the performance enhancement of um, putting interlayers layers uh, was also identified. on the side of this as well uh, the consideration can be given to the empirical rule of the 175 centimeter minimum cover for over seven cemented material or lean mixed concrete so reflective cracking most of you might know but it's uh, the mechanism of uh, crack from underlying layers which will uh, reflect through the interface sh- through the um, the asphalt overlay placed on top there are different causes of reflective cracking they can be thermally induced by dilation contraction of the underlying layers or relative to strains due to temperature gradients other cause of reflective cracking is the traffic induced effect and that goes through The bending of the pavement structure, you can see in the middle of the screen, which creates cyclic extension contraction at the bottom of the asphalt layer. And uh, leading, this is leading to a, a propagation of the crack from the underlying layer through the asphalt overlay. The third mechanism uh, involved in reflective cracking is related to the shearing potential shearing of the overlay when a wheel passes over an existing crack and this phenomena is highly dependent on the condition of these cracks and um, the load transfer efficiency at the uh, at these cracks which uh, lead to um, different outcomes when uh, looking at the literature around reflective cracking there's a number of um, papers and reports refle- uh, related to reflective cracking academic research has produced different theoretical approaches to predict the cyclic propagation of cracks through asphalt in terms of reflective cracking the most common ones are based on the fracture mechanics and Paris law. Other methods have been developed based on the continuum damage mechanics. Other ones have used the cohesive zone model, cohesive zone models. But most of them require the use of advanced modeling and computational um, capabilities which are impractical for routine design. However, some simplified methods have been derived from these theoretical approaches and have been uh, developed and implemented for practical, mechanistic, empirical design. Two main methods developed and implemented were identified uh, as part of the review undertaken during the project. The first one was based on the continuing damage mechanics and developed uh, through the University of California and, um, and Caltrans. The second one well, is based on fracture mechanics and the Paris law model to predict the prediction of the, the cracks. The later was um, evaluated and seems more suitable for incorporation as part of part five. And I will present this one in more detail today. As I mentioned, it was developed by the Transport Institute and the Texas uh, mm. Department of Transport. And it's a method which predicts the propagation of the a crack, as you can see on the right-hand side, the drawing where uh, a crack of uh, a certain length will propagate through the overlay. And when it uh, reaches the height of the depth of the the asphalt overlay, it will uh, appear on the surface. And this uh, crack uh, propagation is uh, governed by the Paris law, which is also displayed on the screen, which uh, with uh, uh, the crack propagation rate, related to um, the stress intensity factor K, and you find that in equation question 12 in the report, um, and two parameters, A and N. And the complexity of this method is to determine the stress intensity factor, because it depend on uh, the pavement configuration, the uh, thicknesses, uh, moduli of the different layers, the condition of the crack in terms of low efficiency etc so what has happened is that the, uh, a, uh, a procedure has been developed to determine the stress intensity factor from the pavement configuration method without going through um, the, the effort of undertaking extensive calculation close forms where I initially uh, uh, developed to to describe the propagation and bending shear and thermal uh, reflection tracking, which was further developed by an artificial neural network model um, to enhance and to allow uh, considering more cases in the the process. The the method is performance-based in a way that it incorporates Material model parameters, the uh, two A and N, which are uh, determined in the laboratory using uh, a, a laboratory method based on the overlay, uh, Texas overlay test. This method was calibrated and validated against uh, field performance and um, it's. It is standalone, as such as it's compatible with uh, the MEPG in the U.S. and it would be compatible with an approach similar to the one developed
2: in PART 5 so
1: When I spoke about the, the material characteristics, uh, they are developed from um, a, labor- a simple laboratory test. Uh, some beam specimen uh, can be extracted from uh, 150 diameter cores. Glued on two metal plates, which can be pulled apart to um, to represent what the reflective cracking mechanism is. So this test can be run in on uh, monotonic loading to determine fracture energy, but more importantly, it can be run in on the cyclic testing regime, where where a constant displacement cyclic constant amplitude displacement is applied to the specimen and as the crack propagates as you can see on the right hand side of the slide the load magnitude decreases towards um, a a value close to zero and that is related to the crack propagating through the specimen as you can see on the photo so the overlay test uh, brings um a, a number of cycles and uh, where the uh, stiffness has dropped from 93% which can be used to determine the, um, the ANN parameters to be included in the model and uh, when you've got uh, your payment uh, configuration you can think about um assessing the allowable loading or the time uh, it will take for the existing cracking to reflect through the asphalt overlay. So, assuming the layer thicknesses, moduli and um, low transfer efficiency of the existing pavement, climatic and traffic loading data, uh, the process uh, allows assessing the cra- uh, pavement cracking parameters, which are the stress intensity factors, and from there, Uh, predict the the overlay life, which uh, is given for the 50 when 50 percent underlying cracks would have uh, uh, reflected through. And on the right hand side of the screen just illustrates the result of a parametric uh, study showing the effect of thickness on uh, the, the reflection cracking. Um, where uh, from 38 to 100, you have got a, a significant increase in uh, the time it takes to reflex through, and you can see for uh, thicknesses in that configuration uh, above 150 millimeter, it didn't, um, didn't, uh, the cracking wouldn't have percolated through um, for the time ta- during the time of the of the simulation. That concludes um, the part dedicated to uh, the reflective cracking. We looked at uh, available methods overseas which has been implemented in pavement design. From the review of this method and the amount of data available, the one developed by the Transport. Texas Transport Institute was uh, appear to be the the most appropriate to be adapted to enrich uh, the procedure as it is standalone and um, would be compatible with most of the designer inputs used in part 5 and part 2. It's performance-based and therefore compatible with Ostros' approach of performance-based specification for asphalt materials. And uh, allows to include interlayers um, and to assess potential benefit or design uh, for uh, a treatment which would include interlayers uh, to limit or uh, mitigate reflective cracking. I will now uh, move on to the last part of our presentation today, which was to look at opportunities for uh, by calculating uh, pavement layer moduli from uh, deflection data collected from the traffic speed deflectometer. Many road agencies across uh, Australia and New Zealand have invested in the survey of their network using the traffic speed deflectometer. And uh, at this stage, is mostly used at the asset management level. The question was, uh, can it be used for treatment design? One part of the answer is yes, because it's already implemented in the 2019 edition of Part 5 for empirical design of granular overlay. But uh, it is yet uh, available to determine back-accurated moduli and of existing pavement for the mechanistic empirical procedure. The TSD um, is measuring uh, pavement response to load of uh, an existing pavement under a rolling wind load traveling at traffic speed around, say, 80 km an hour. The technology uses a Doppler laser to measure the velocity of the pavement surface, which can be converted into deflection. And there's two shots uh, on, the, on the right-hand side show on the top the, the velocity data, which can be converted by integration uh, to, into a deflection. So, in terms of uh, possible uh, use uh, for back calculation, uh, the, the review of existing method uh, led to the conclusion that two main methods were identified. The first one was based on translating uh, the, the CSD deflection ball into uh, the, um, fwd equivalent deflection ball, which would be uh, suitable for back calculation. So, uh, also, does yes to have the, the process uh, developed to, to lead to that um, that conversion, and it would require calibration validation using bare deflection data, uh, knowing uh, pavement thicknesses and asphalt uh, moduli uh, on these layers to 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 develop um, such method. Another emerging method uh, developed recently uh, based on um, a back analysis of the pavement surface velocity as opposed to uh, the pavement surface deflection. And um, it includes, uh, uh, it's based on an embedded viscoelastic response to load a mathematical model of the pavement. Uh, it is also includes a back calculation algorithm and it uh, estimates some parameters uh, uh moduli and viscosity parameters uh which are for instance illustrated on the right hand side of uh, of the graph from um, for, as this illustration I was extracted from the paper gives you an idea of um, the output. However, as, uh, these moduli are not uh, related uh, to uh, current uh, design model, and uh, it would be, be a need to um, validate this method and develop such a process to translate these moduli, which are not um, uh, similar to uh, back calculated moduli. So there's some potential, and uh, the, the technology is evolving and uh, future research would be required to validate such um, such modular values or procedures uh, for um, for the design of uh, rehabilitation treatment
2: so in terms
1: of uh, strategy for the mechanistic empirical procedure improvement. The report uh, summarizes strategy for future re- research based on the feedback of the most significant gaps collected from pavement designer across road agencies and industry. It has been focused on research direction developed from available methods from Australia and overseas, which could be implemented in the context of the MEP already available in part five. The bigger um, research priorities identified are around developing methods to determine the moduli of existing infrastructure from TSD measured data, Evaluate the damage, evaluation and performance of existing bond pavement materials. And incorporate a reflective cracking uh, design procedures in the design of asphalt overlays.
0: Thanks so much, uh, Didier. Yep, so the slides are with me now. Uh, and James, over to you.
2: Yeah, thanks Ekaterina. So we do have quite a few questions here so let's run through these and see what answers we can provide. Let's see the first one I am going to ask is relating to slide 43 Ekaterina. So the question there is how does the TSD operate on urban roads which are subject to speed fluctuations? Is its main benefit on freeways? Be for you did uh, Yes I think you can um collect deflection data from twenty or thirty kilometers an hour um, um
1: so yeah obviously uh, it needs a minimum speed to operate and to be able to collect the data, but not uh, yeah, not. Uh, limited to uh, 80 km know I can collect at lower
2: speed than that. Uh... Okay, thanks, The next one I've got here is relating to slide 41. And it says, I'm concerned that the overseas models, so this is reflective cracking, Uh, Didier, I'm concerned that overseas models do not take into consideration the impact of the pavement deflection either side of the crack. And therefore, what is the thickness of AC required to eliminate this form of crack propagation? So
1: as part of the mechanistic uh, model for reflective fracking presented today, there's a factor which uh, relates to the, the um, load transfer efficiency, which is measured uh, using a falling weight defectometer on uh, both sides of the track to evaluate uh, the relative uh, movement, potential relative movement between the two sides of the track. and uh you have a parameter uh, load transfer efficiency which can be from zero percent to a certain a level which uh, is taken into account in the design so that will impact on the thickness required to uh, um, inhibit reflective cracking through the, your design next you. next
2: question I've got here Ekaterina relates to slide 40 and this one is so again for you Didier how does time taken for cracking in the model relate to the time for cracking in the field? So this uh, if it
1: relates to France and the the chart presented in this uh, paper that would be a prediction of the time uh, predicted Uh, time uh, it would take to happen in the field. That has been validated against field drives, accelerated loading and uh, through extensive research. That would be uh, the same. Uh, In terms of uh, this chart, it's given uh, a certain level of traffic. You would have uh,
2: this duration in months. To you. Uh, next question I want to put forward here is in relation to slide 36 so again we're still in the reflective cracking uh, phase of the work and the question relating to this one is Didier why has environmental cracking from the subgrade mitigating to the surface not being included as one possible cause?
1: Yeah, it is actually one possible cause, but uh, which uh, is not necessarily mitigated uh, through uh, the uh, asphalt overlays, because it generally generates in deeper layers uh, from the subgrade, and uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't uh, recommend um, a design of overlays to to combat um, such environmental cracking. That's a, a category of effective cracking which has been a bit excluded from from this review, and it would be uh, treated in a different manner from a drainage or or a replacement of uh, expensive subgrade or treatment of expensive subgrade to mitigate this cause of uh, reflective cracking through the the pavement, and it, uh, it can. Uh, It generally involves the cracking of the old pavement at different layers, including granular
2: layers. Thanks, Deanne. Probably maybe this will be the last one on reflective cracking, but slide 34. And the question is, often SAMIs are used to prevent reflective cracking and the proposed models incorporate the presence of thin layers such as SAMIs.
1: Yeah, it hasn't been uh, mentioned on the slide that, that SAMI is uh, has been uh, proven to be a, a way of a uh, uh, retarding the, the reflective cracking. So yeah, it's uh, it's part of the the inter-layer which can be used to mitigate uh, reflective cracking. Just hasn't been mentioned in on this slide. It, it is in the report. Okay, thanks, Didier.
2: Now I've got some questions relating to Jeff's part of the work. So slide 32, and some questions for Jeff. Uh, can the deflections be measured between the two wheel paths when there is no shoulder to determine the untrafficked back-calculated modulus? Uh,
3: yes, possibly. Um, If you remember the slide, you probably don't remember the slide, but what the slide I showed with the foam bitumen uh, trials, uh, where we looked at the modulus reduction in that foam bitumen trial, we actually did measure the back-calculated modulus between the wheel paths and compared that for one of the sites and compared that to the trafficked moduli but when you're when you've got to a stage where you, cracking is about to begin uh, some of that cracking in the wheel path starts to influence the between wheel path modulus so uh, with some limitations it can be uh, applied but the untra- i guess the message is the untraffic moduli uh, Shouldn't be influenced by some of the damage in the wheel paths. So you'd be selecting a location to minimise uh, that effect.
2: Thanks, Jeff. Uh, the next question I have here is relating to slide 30. And again, for Jeff. Uh, so the question here is I found. The in situ modulus of a bound foam bitumen layer varies with depth. Are you indicating that the assessment has to ignore in situ modulus variations with depth?
3: Uh, not necessarily. I mean, if you had an ability, if you had the opportunity to take cores, you could assess uh, the modulus variation in with depth as well as looking at ratios of. Traffic to untraffic, so you could investigate that. Incidentally, this was the slide I was referring to in the previous answer, and you can see in the untrafficked area how the modulus values after the first year of trafficking start to be influenced by the cracking that's occurring in the traffic lines. So that that relates to the answer to that previous question, and the. Um, the concern is that if you take uh, deflections between the wheel paths, you can actually get a situation where, as the cracking develops in the trafficked area, it starts to influence the uh, untrafficked area between the wheel paths. So that's something to be careful about.
2: Okay, thanks, Jeff. And the next question will relate to slide 27. Uh, the question here is. Does the increase in modulus apply equally to asphalt surface layers and asphalt base layers, Jeff? Uh, We
3: we don't, uh, this particular uh, graph here shown on the slide relates to base course layers uh, in the UK. We don't have a lot of information about what is happening uh, for Australian pavements in this regard. Um, So I I really can't answer that question about the extent to which modulus changes, uh, how it varies with depth below the surface. But the point here is that if we adopt uh, method two, we need to allow for the fact that the modulus can actually vary during the course of its life. And so if we were to adopt a method like method two to estimate remaining life, we would really need a, new, a different new pavement design system. A design system that looked at the damage in each month of life and allowed for the modulus changes during the life and also how the fatigue characteristics, say due to embrittlement, changed during the course of life. So that's a very major change for Austroids to change to a more rigorous response to load model that looks at the damage in each month of the pavement life.
2: Okay, thanks, Jeff. Next one I've got here. Let's see. Uh, if we get to slide twenty-four, Ekaterina. And the question here, Jeff, is: Is there a relationship between crack width and the loss of modulus of a bound sublayer? given that there is no load transfer over a crack when it reaches a specific width. And the continuity assumption in layered elastic analysis is no longer valid.
3: Yeah, we, we just don't have that understanding, unfortunately. Uh, but as I've showed in the slides, we, we understand how the modulus does change due to micro And that's what we uh, would like to investigate how good an indication uh, that is that modulus reduction is of uh, fatigue life reduction and whether we can in fact use method three which is simply involves cause say and measured modulus changes or we need to use a more uh, rigorous approach by actually testing the fatigue life of individual cause. Hopefully uh, the, the investigation would show that the simpler method of of simply taking modulus rather than fatigue properties will suffice.
2: Okay, thanks, Jeff. And we're getting close to time, so this might be the last one. But in relation to slide 22, again for Jeff, uh, the question is: Isn't the main impediment to determining the remaining life of existing bound layers the knowledge or, or lack of knowledge? of the past traffic loading to which the material has been subjected to, which is rarely available uh, and and sometimes only available in approximate terms.
3: Uh, Yeah, there are a whole whole host of um, issues that need to be addressed in uh, estimated remaining life. And um, I think I've demonstrated that by the description of the four possible methods. Uh, this is not an easy task, and the estimating of the past traffic is another uh, challenge in determining, uh, you know, fatigue the damage to, to date or remaining life. So there are a number of challenges in this in this process to develop this method. And I agree. Uh, often we don't have good information about the. The traffic loading since the last treatment. Okay, thanks, Jeff. And
2: yeah, you for your answers, I think we're pretty close to time. So, Ekaterina, shall I pass it back to you to wrap up now?
0: Um, thanks, James. Uh, yeah, that's uh, pretty much the end of today's session. Uh, We do have quite a few questions left, uh, but don't worry, we will enter all of them and email a copy of the responses to everybody after the session. Thanks so much, Didier, Jeff and James. Um, Great presentation, very interesting project. Um, So before we wrap up, I just wanted to say a few words about our future. Um, sessions. So we've got three sessions currently planned. Um, On the 3rd of August, uh, we will talk about the technical basis for changes made to the Guide to Pavement Technology, parts two and five. So register for this session if you haven't already. Um, And in July, we will have two webinars. Uh, One will present Austroids project, Pipeline for 2021 22. And the second session will focus on Australian and New Zealand emerging vehicle technology trials. So visit our um, website for more information and to register. Um, And as usual, uh, when we close out today's session, a questionnaire will pop up on your screen. So please. Uh, take a few minutes to fill it in, Uh, send us your feedback. It really helps us to know what you liked or didn't like about the session and what suggestions you have for future webinars. Uh, Once again, today's session is being recorded, and we will let you know when the uh, recording is available on our website. Um, And thanks again, everybody. Uh, Stay well and safe, and enjoy the rest of your day. We will see you next
2: time. Thanks.